Welcome to our podcast, the final in our series of podcasts, The Power of Practice Nursing, The Future of General Practice Nursing. I'm Jill Rogers and I'm the General Practice Nursing 10-point plan lead for NHSEI London Region. Jonathan Sampson from Healthy London Partners today is interviewing Amita Shah, the Nurse Development Lead for North Central London CCG Barnet Directorate. Brenda Donnelly, General Practice Nurse Educator and Clinical Director, South East London. Claire Johnson, Nurse Member for North Central London CCG. And Dr Majal Drage, Chief Executive of London-wide Local Medical Committees. This podcast is the last in the series and discusses highlights and thinks about the future of general practice nursing. Hello, my name is Jonathan Sampson and I am Senior Programme Manager for Workforce at Healthy London Partnership. And welcome to Brenda Donnelly, Clinical Director and GPN Educator in South East London. I'm going to start with you as you've done this before. Could you tell us one example from the podcast series uh, that motivated you to champion GPNs in your organisation? When I listened to the podcast this the last period of time, I actually what came to mind was this is the year of the nurse. It's um, 200 years since the birth of the founder, Florence Nightingale. And it, to me, it was like rather 10 times die in the surf, herald in the way to a new world than stand idly on the shore. And from these podcasts, you know, every single one of them brought up something that I thought, oh, my goodness, I'll take this one further. I think the one that I that I wanted to highlight was the one that they did in Barnet, where they had a combined. Um, uh, it was the end of life care, a very tricky subject and something that lots of people would scare away from and not want to do at all. And not only that, but it was a, it was a collaborative approach because it was the GP and the GPNs that were doing it together. And I think there were lots of things from that that were actually repeated in some of the other podcasts that were there. But I thought it was one of those things that showed nurses that have been able to accept their vulnerability and to be able to show courage and to be able to actually make a difference to people. And so that was that was one of the areas that I thought was really, really important. And it was like, you know, looking at new ways of doing things as well. We recognised in this, well, we weren't going to be able to work in the way we were before, but we're, we're not afraid of change either. And so nurses stepped up and they, they looked at all the different things that they could use technically to, to discuss things with their patients. And, and actually taking that on from a, when you have end of life and those really difficult discussions, actually, they're probably not... Um, there is simple, hard discussion, as I would say, and it's easy enough to do if you've got the skills to do it. And I think that that's what nurses then represented and also represented. I can't do this without some sort of training. I need to learn to know how. Mm-hmm. So that's that was the one that, I, that that came to my mind. Brilliant. Thank you, Brenda. And, and let's let's pass the ball to Amita because we mentioned Barnet. And uh, have you had a chance to listen to some of the podcasts? Yes, I have. And um like Brenda, I would agree. I was absolutely, truly moved by listening to the, the nurse talking about her experience of having the advanced care plan uh, conversations. I was involved with the GP in Barnet in doing some of that training um, uh, with the nurses. So I had a little bit of the background knowledge of what what the nurses would be exposed to, but to actually listen to her and and seeing her vulnerability, it, it was truly moving. Um, and it made me realise, actually, having listened to quite a lot of them, that a lot in all of them, there's a theme that general practice nurses are the backbone of primary care. There's this, there was a true display, I think, of the holistic nature of nursing, what we often refer to cradle to grave nursing. And that you know, that particular nurse, I know how she's been working in Barnet for a long time, 20 odd years, would have seen, you know, the young, the young moms bringing their babies in for immunizations. And then she would have seen those um, girls growing up and coming to see her for contraception and then coming to see her for uh, antenatal and postnatal and then vaccinating their children. And, you know, it is absolutely a a display of the holistic nature of general practice nursing. Thank you, Amita. 
And while we're in North Central London, perhaps I could ask Claire for her thoughts on the podcasts. Thank you. Um, I, I mean, I think the work in, in Barnet was fantastic. Um, I think all of the podcasts have had something to offer. It would be wonderful to see that taken into more of a systemized approach to take those themes and think, OK, well, you know, how can we now create this is a, a quality improvement movement for nurses and network all of those ideas up across London. I think my particular favourite was Linda in Suffolk with her partner GP. I love that one because it showed the general practitioner and the nurse together uh, as equal players. I really felt uh, that there was mutual respect for one another. And wow, you know, they had calls to additional 5,000 patients um, working as a multidisciplinary team for people with diabetes. Well, what really struck me were, there was that they used a protocolized approach and they found that a number of patients who'd been very resistant to change of their behaviors and so on, um, were much more receptive to the online work that they were doing because it was COVID. Mm -hmm. And I think there are so many powerful stories to tell about the whole COVID experience. We could probably be doing podcasts every week for another year. But I think the thing that struck me about all of them was a frustration, perhaps, that our general practice nurses are confined at the moment to working in surgeries. And I would like to see us think about a melded role. Amita's introduced herself as having a community background. I know Brenda does too. This divide between traditional community nursing and district nursing and practice nursing I think as we're looking at new roles as part of the players, then this needs to be something that we 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 think, can we move out of the mould? You know, can we take practice nursing excellent as it is, although could it be extinct, you know, to debate uh, with new roles coming in and, and see it more focused in those community settings where end of life care will be happening at, at home. That is true primary care. So. I think it, you threw down quite a lot of challenges for us, Jonathan, with, with, with the podcast. Right. Well, that's that's good. Um, and Michelle, what struck you from the podcasts? Well, again, it's the themes. I, I think from my perspective, um, I kind of echo some of the points that uh, Anita was saying around dedication comes through really the, the, the one that Brenda was referring to. With end of life. I mean, it just epitomises that. So, you know, let's even in 2020, colleagues in nursing are dedicating their lives to something that's really important to patients. And, and then you bring in that, that kind of holistic approach in a rapidly changing world. It, it's And it's coping with that, but still providing that level of care. And let's use the care word, proper care. Um, holistic care in an uncertain environment, which is what general practice is, let's face it, it's, uh, it's uncertain. And if everything was straightforward and went in straight lines, anyone could do the job. So both nurses and GPs, we're specialising in, in the bits between the certainties, the bits between the lines, and, and it gets, it's unsung. And unless you do amplify it with these kinds of initiatives, people don't get it. They don't. They don't assume. And I think it's from those those key examples that the discussion around roles, boundaries, communities versus practice with an aging population where people are living more settings that aren't traditional. Um, I think all of those things came out in this, um, and I think. It, it just says, if only we had more nurses. That's what it, you know, strikes me. And then from my perspective, we're a nurse down in every practice. And and, and whilst building PCNs might be a, a, a way forward, uh, ultimately it's the practices that make up the PCNs. It's those smaller populations. And without that level of involvement, crossing boundaries or otherwise, um, I don't think you can skill mix that role away. I think that's that um, key. So I always say, if I'm, if I'm, we are GP nurses, GPs. There's so much more that binds us together than than, than divides us. Not that we should be divided. If the systems supported that bond, 
then so much more could be achieved together. Brilliant. Well, that's a great start. And I think we'll probably come back to some of those themes with, with the way that the questions that Jill had set out for us. And, and we're talking about the nursing workforce of the future. So the first question was really uh, about how do we encourage newly qualified nurses or, or nurses during their undergraduate training uh, to see general practice nursing as a first choice destination. And Amicha, I wonder if we can start with you, uh, but obviously invite everyone to uh, give their thoughts as well. So I think before we can get nurses to think about general practice as a first destination career, we need to expose them to the primary care setting and that, that starts in their sort of pre-reg programme um, having a dedicated placement program, which you know starts them coming into primary care perhaps in their third year, um, to work with their general practice nursing colleagues um, would be a really good start. Almost every pre-reg nurse that I've spoken to in my past five years in this role has been absolutely blown away by the depth and breadth and dynamism of the general practice nursing role. Um, that urban myth still prevails around having to do a year in A&E or a year in ITU before you come out into the community. And that's what we need to kind of like bust by getting them exposed to primary care settings and seeing the sort of nursing that takes place and the knowledge and skills that are required to work in uh, general practice. Um, it, it, you know, there is kudos in it, and I think that's what we need to bring back into general practice nursing, that there, it is kudos. It doesn't have to be the blood and guts that you see in any. Um, there's a lot of worth in, in, in primary prevention um, and the care and compassion that goes on. I think if I was coming back to nursing again with the sort of programmes that are around with Health Education England promoting primary care and the series of podcasts, that would definitely inspire me to come into general practice nursing as a first job. Brilliant. Thank you, Amita. Any, anybody else want to give some thoughts? Um, I guess I can chip oh. in here. I think, I think one thing we've seen was huge appreciation for nurses through this pandemic. We've seen a huge amount of appreciation. But I think one of the first things we need to do is to make the, the profession be so respected that people really want to come into it. So why, you know, why do people not come into the, the, the profession in the first place? I think it's without doubt, and I totally see, I mean, so we, any nurse, I've got a list of people who, who want to become practice nurses in my inbox, but I haven't got a vacancy for them. So it's about actually trying to find a way in which we can bring them in directly. But again, sorry, coming back to that first point, it's about valuing nursing for what it is. And I think if we are not valuing that politically, from a political perspective, where nurses can't afford to live on their on their current wages, then where they're having to go to food banks, then I think there's something terribly wrong with our society that we can't do that. So why wouldn't they go somewhere else and not do this job? But I think it just proves when, pe when people choose to do nursing and when the adults choose to come into nursing and then we've, we're they're faced with living on a, on a, they haven't got a bursary to do this, although hopefully it is going to be reintroduced again. But it's, it's difficult. So the people who we do get in are absolutely, you know, hell-bent on, on making this profession and make brilliant nurses because they come from different places and bring different things with them. So I think we just need to be more out there within the media and making this a viable choice and not having people jump over all sorts of, through all sorts of hoops in order to be able to get in in the first place. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, Brenda. Okay, Claire, it's with you. I, I think we do need to take control of uh, as Brenna's saying, of our own PR on this and our own marketing. Um, we're talking here in London, and London has uh, less practice nurses per head than any other English region. Uh, and those who are in work, 50% of them are over 50, with a small percentage over 70. Um, that is not sustainable. And we, we do need to attract in uh, new graduates. Um, and Brenda's right, they will expect uh, fair pay, fair conditions. Uh, Capital Nurses just produced um, a leaflet in the series it's been doing for practice nursing on pensions because we were told, I know younger nurses aren't necessarily thinking about that, that that's one of the biggest concerns. But when you talk to younger nurses, 
A, they haven't had those clinical placements. So in North Central London, we've just started a meta review of all of those placements in every environment of care to really see if we can support those practices as well as other environments to think about how they could manage those placements in different ways. I had an eight week placement in a general practice. And as I've already said, I trained in medieval times. So we've got to think of ways of getting those graduates out into practice at an early enough stage and then break the mythology that I think is often led by GPs um, who perhaps trained a while ago, who think you need to have worked in hospital for a, a longish period of time before you come out to general practice. And we know we know that uh, young nurses actually make wonderful practice nurses in you know, have all the right values and our new graduates are so brilliantly trained. But those factors depend on more infrastructure, learning infrastructure for uh, practice assessors and practice supervisors and practice educators. And we need, uh, I think our training hubs are doing what they can, but they need more investment from he if we're truly going to transform care. And at the moment, I would say from a system perspective, most of our chief nurses don't understand practice nursing and aren't using, say, the networks of career clinics that are established in those NHS trusts to help people who are fed up of doing those 12 hour shifts um, to think about coming out to practice nursing. So I think there's um, there's something to be done as a whole system to really sit down and think about this issue because primary care nurses are very precious but there are just too few of them at the moment and even fewer thinking that this could be a career for at least some of the time. You know, we need to also make it easier for those practice nurses to go back into other settings if that's what they want to do after a few years. So we need some passporting for careers as well. Thank you, Claire. And Michelle, I know you've been trying to pin as well. So. Um, I think there is nothing that has been said that I wouldn't also repeat. So I think in current, I agree with that system approach. I think there are massive parallels, and why wouldn't there be, between the challenges that we face in recruiting GPs and the challenges we face in recruiting practice nurses and other nurses in, into uh, community settings. I think it is magnified in London, and our own workforce surveys show as I said earlier, every practice is short of a practice nurse, or the GPN of some sort, just as they are a GP. So alignment, I think, of the two causes would be, I think, really helpful. Um, and yet we tend to get split by the system structures. So there's something about the multidisciplinary team that's getting attention in, in PCNs, but there's nothing about it that's getting attention with nurses already in practices and pra the fact that PCNs do not include in the ARRS roles yeah. nursing. Now, I think that was by design and, and it's too complex to go into that here. I don't, I just don't think that, that we should get into that argument because I don't think it helps because we can't change that, but what we can change is the way practicians are valued by their practice, the way they're cared for by their practice, the way they're protected and the way they're placed. And I agree with Anita, um, we really need um, to have, and it, again, the parallel is absolutely the same with GPs. Our big, biggest gripe is we get trained in hospitals. Well, what good is that to anyone in general practice? We're generalists, we follow a completely different model completely different understanding of what health is about uh, and what illness is about. Um, you know, most of our time collectively spent dealing with the social and psychological aspects of, of, of disease rather than the medical problems associated with disease. These are basic fundamentals that make us want to work in general practice in communities. Um, that does not get the attention it needs in medical school or in nursing courses. We have our 100% aligned on this. So, so I look to training hubs to actually correct that imbalance and set the stall for the future. Um, and to that end, I think funding is crucial in this. There needs to be funding for those placements 
the more people you uh, Clay mentioned eight weeks, more than I had as a medical student hundred years ago in general practice, and it's got worse since then for most most people. It's exactly the same for nurses. So getting the basics right, I think, is really important. Having that unified approach, um, and I think it, it does all boil down to value and culture. Um, I'm interested about that point you're making about uh, certain GPs thinking that nurses have to train in hospitals first. I mean, I've just given the argument why that doesn't make any sense at all. If that's something, like, I'd not pick that up actually, I shall reflect that back in, in, yeah. into our team. Um, but, but actually um, making sure that people have got proper terms and conditions is really important. If there's an elephant in the room, it's usually that one. Um, and it, it used to be that there were pay scales and then those pay scales disappeared for, for GP nurses. Uh, and I think that's regrettable. Um, then we went through a gender for change with its with all its imperfections. Um, and we're still waiting for the cavalry to come along on this at the same time that the funding in practice has dropped and people are trying to make that funding go further. And I think it's it, it it's right and proper that we focus on on making our nurses feel valued in every which way. Um, and, and I think that can be done. So I think if if um, there's a job to be done for training hubs, it's supporting the placements, which is not only the exposure to the nurses, but actually gets the engagement with the GPs that that enables that bond to uh, to arise. Um, thank you, thank you. Well, so let's assume that we've um, solved this problem, and and the next one. So we, we we're talking about recruiting, bringing the next generation of nurses along, but once they're in practice, uh, we want to keep them. Uh, so what do we need to do in London? Because we are seeing numbers. Uh, leaving the GPN workforce and as Michelle says you know and, and, and Claire you said that as well the nursing ratios are lower than other regional areas so what do we what can we do to encourage the retention of these people we've invested so much in Michelle? Um, so <laughs> we, we need to have a, a vocational training program beyond graduation um, embedded in general practice uh, it needs to be structured, it needs to be supported, mentored, super, supervised um, and appropriate to general practice and it might take time for that period to pass. Um, so I think that's the, the, the first thing. I, I think also I come back to the, uh, the, the valuing um, if you can't see a way forward and you're stuck doing the same repetitive tasks over and over again, whilst that may suit some, that won't suit everyone. So you need to have some goals beyond beyond the day-to-day the -day out of the service that enables you to participate in something that's big, you know, better than box ticking and, and that kind of um, CPD approach that sometimes arises. Um, and you know, again, I think I think this can be done. I think I think it, the energy is there to do it. But it has been for a long time. Identify the barriers and overcome them. Michelle, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I I I'm so delighted, of course, that Sue Crossman and Jill Rogers have now prepared and published, uh, and there was an article in September's um, Practice Nurse. Uh, a qualification in specialism under the banner of Capital Nurse for London, which is a qualification in specialism for general practice nurses. So taking post-registration education seriously uh, is absolutely vital. And I hope, I know he are now adopting that, that programme. Uh, there's full buy-in from all of the London universities who prepare um, practice nurses and uh, accredited to do so by the NMC. So I really think, um, hopefully this podcast will assist us, that your support to enable us to take this programme up um, as a postgraduate GPN education pathway, you can't see the material that, that Jill and Sue have produced, 
but it, it would take us from new qualifier through to that GPN qualification in specialism. But beyond that, I think we should be learning from Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland have a full career pathway, career progression pathway for general practice nursing, which is signed off by their equivalent, forgive me, of the RCTP, uh, whatever the Irish branch of that is. Um, and all other all other um, agencies in in Northern Ireland, which they did last year, and in fact um, we're hoping we were hoping this year, but it will be next year now to go over to Northern Ireland uh, as a group of us from the uh, ICS, from in primary care to experience what they've done and learn more about that model. So if other people want to join in, then uh, why not? Um, but I think until we have a full career progression pathway as you would in any other specialism of nursing and why not let's have one even better and um, starting with that qualification in specialism which now exists I think um, we're doing a disservice to our nurses in general practice and in fact to our, our our patients and service users. Maybe maybe I can come in actually you can take me back to Northern Ireland as my roots are so uh, maybe I can see what's going on there when I left Northern Ireland for all sorts of various reasons but what what I wanted to come back to was, I think it's, Michelle, what you said, what brings us together is what keeps us there. And I think what, what nurses and doctors have worked together in general practice for a very long time. And I think what we really need to do is be listening to one another and see ourselves as role models out there. Now, I've had the most amazing GPs that I've worked with. I became a partner with the GP back in 2002 because somebody was listening to what I said. Someone knew this is population management. This is where we, this is health management in a different way. So there are many GPs out there who are really open to it. And what we have to do is as nurses stand up and have a voice because there's no point in you know whinging behind the scenes. We, we're there and we get people who are listening to us. And I think in order to retain nurses, we need to have those roles, that career pathway. Without doubt, it needs to be there. But we also need to have those individuals standing up and saying and, and, you know, constantly challenging as well and changing and adapting with the system rather than just staying in those in those those sort of positions that we're in. So I think it's about listening, really listening. And in that respect, it's about us listening to each other. We have already got that solid partnership with one another. And as our primary care team grows and widens, we have to look beyond and think, how can we embrace the others and hold on to ourselves and the core that we know that we deliver very well and have done for many years? Thank you, Brenda. And uh, Amita? Yes, I just want to come into where Brenda was talking about listening um, to each other. And I think as nurses, we do listen to each other. And I think we need to listen to our GP colleagues. And role modeling is very, very important. So I think it's about sharing that good practice. So the question to be asked is, where are these GPs and nurses working together? And, and why is there not the vacancy, um, the turnover, the churn in that practice, whereas um, there's a practice down the road in the same network that is finding it impossible to recruit. So what is going on in one that can be replicated in the other? And it is, it's, if it's, you know, if it's about support, if it's about preceptorship, if it's about, uh, the you know, just the general sort of ethos of the practice, we need to think about culture that exists in certain practices and, and, and challenge those cultures so that there is equity for patients because at the end of the day that those registered patients are missing out because of that inequity. I guess and that's very true I mean isn't it and I think it's if we're listening to each other then we're going to care for each other as well and if we look at the the large majority of nurses in London probably are all over 50 like you say Claire we also need to think about what actually keeps us there and how do we manage things like pregnancy you know that gets dealt with but how do we manage things like menopause how do we manage those workloads that people are taking on you know with the digital era and taking that on we because we're not necessarily supporting our understanding of those people's needs and their learning needs then you think actually we're going to lose a lot of people with that so it's about opening up that and saying okay do we need to provide digital training what do we what do you need and that means we're really listening to people's educational needs otherwise we i i worry that we're going to lose a lot of people who have got that legacy and who've got that you know heritage that we've carried from general practice we're going to lose that really quickly into um into something else uh, and it's, it's, it's it would be a real loss i 
May I come in there, Jonathan, just to say, I have to get a plug in for uh, the capital nurse. How do we retain uh, general practice nurses, which is a guide for GPs and practice managers, which came out earlier this year. Because sadly, a lot of the GPNs that we spoke to across London in creating this product, and Amita was a part of that, and perhaps Brenda was too, they weren't all feeling cared for. They weren't all having cosy relationships in those healthy teams that you're all working in. Um, and they were pleased to have the opportunity to talk about what would make a difference for them to stay. And you know, a lot of the things were really simple. They were, as you say, about culture, about tone, about kindness. Um, okay, you know, agenda for change conditions, we can have another debate about that. Pensions, as I say, was a big issue. So we've just produced a really fantastic guide that will be available by the end of the month. So we want to get that out to every general practice nurse in London. But, you know, looking at the quotes in, in uh, this particular guide, people wanted um, time, to, time to listen to me, keep me informed, tell me what's happening in the practice. Um, retirement planning, health and well-being, flexible working, understanding what, what in my life and the ins and out you know in and out of work but also pay me for sickness absence pay me overtime for extra hours arrange hours in lieu you know be a bit better planning on your roster um so it's sad in some ways that that was the first time that perhaps some of these nurses had felt they could say these things but the guide is a really it's not negative it's really positive it's about giving general practice nurses that job satisfaction and rewarding their loyalty. But it's also, um, I think, very helpful for their employers and indeed the principals um, improve all of that, that, that good patient care that we're talking about. So there's not that, you know, it's not rocket science retention. Uh, we all know that because we've been in the game a long time and, and it is right. You get practice A and practice B and their poles apart. Um, but we have to find ways of overcoming that. And technology's got to be part of it. If we can perhaps work with the federations to have portals for recruitment and systemize that so that you know we can also up standards so that you know as a GP that if you go onto that site that's perhaps run within a sector, that if you need to hire, you're going to get a general practice nurse who's got the skills, experience and qualification. We, we, we ought to be thinking I think bigger about about how we can overcome some of the fundamental problems of, of retention. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for those really thought-provoking uh, contributions. I want to move us on to our final question, uh, which is: How can we encourage effective multidisciplinary team working, uh, which includes the uh, GPN, especially with the advent of PCNs? Uh, and the introduction of additional roles into general practice. And I think, Brenda, could I ask you to kick that one off? Um, okay, well, Pierce, it's, a, it's, it's a bit of an ask, isn't it? And I, when I was thinking about it, I was thinking like, it's, if you like gardens, I like gardens, I like plants, I like growing stuff. And I looked and I think, this is like, what we are like is it's a garden. So we've got general practice having the walls of the garden and we've got our population health as all the ground cover on the ground. And we're holding that population. That population needs to be fed and watered and nurtured. And so what we have is general practice going from cradle to grave, as we've said, and they're giving these people vaccination and immunization and screening and things like that. And then what we've got is sometimes we've got, oh, somebody has a good idea, there's an innovation, they go in and they plant a good shrub. And that's something like a, a GP with special interest in general practice. And they come in. And then we've got nurses who come up who say, oh, I think this is a good idea in population health. This is where we're going. And so over a period of time, with all of these different roles, we have a different flowers in our gardens and our gardens are looking good. But we've got these walls around it. However, what we also need to do is that there's more than just within the walls. And we have to look at other gardens and other places and other things that we can bring in as well. And so for me, it's about looking at 
what are these ARRS roles going to bring in? How can we work with them within our garden to make it something that's really helpful and that, that people will shine in their own professions, but we're all going to be contained within this one garden of being a general practice where we have all the needs of our population being met, but largely the population are meeting their own needs, but we are enabling that in the small amount of time that we have to put in. And so we'll only shoot up now and again, like a lovely flower in the dahlias in autumn or whatever else in spring, the daffodils or tulips. Where we're needed, we'll come up and we'll be there and we'll shine for those people. But where we're not needed, we don't need to be there. People will manage their own health. And I think that with um, primary care networks and as clinical directors within that, we've got this huge opportunity to enable our, our other services to help us along with what we're actually trying to do. Because like we said earlier, we're psychological, social and spiritual needs that we deliver in primary care. It's not just about a medical model of health. And so for me, I see like a lovely big Eden where we've got all these fruitful trees and all sorts of things coming in. But that's been off the wall really isn't it so sorry i kicked off oh, that's a lovely picture so does anyone else want to add or or sort of uh, say something additional michelle yep there's no end to the size of the garden but you need a <laughs> great load of fertilizer to make it work and 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 you know this is one of our challenges isn't it um essentially we are the cinderellas of the NHS, in fact, with the Cinderella's full stop. So um, we need to make sure that uh, we're nurtured. And I think the NHS isn't very good at nurturing primary care. And even the PCN kind of concept, which if you start from, from where it started originally, it started as let's all work together in groups. Funny that most of us are old enough to remember when we used to work together in groups. Um, we used to have access to uh, um, good district nursing colleagues and health visitors and social care. In my practice, we had a, a physio. This is before fund holding. We, we work best when we have multidisciplinary team members. Where it all goes horribly wrong is when someone comes along and says, let's contractualise all that. And the minute you start to contractualise it, um, you kind of lose the the you, the enthusiasm for for growing something. Um, yeah, you can only have three aliquots of of your fertiliser this day, but you might need twenty aliquots of a different kind of fertilisers. So that's the reality we work in, unfortunately. Um, and I think trying to overcome those barriers, which tend to hit, so I think they hit us more in London because we're a capital city um, with everything that's different. That doesn't get recognised. And I think this is a political judgment call because um, we're now the government that uh, is trying to protect its, its, its blue wall in the north. It's not going to ship resources into London, not that it ever has particularly. Um, but making best use of those resources and making sure that people are doing a job that um, that they can see is contributing to something um, needs to be supported, whether or not the ingredients arrive in, in this fertiliser product, I don't know. Um, we shall have to see. Can I can I just back you there, Michelle? I mean, I think you're so right um, about the divorce that general practice never wanted in terms of contracting for community services. Um, I mean, in North Central London, we have four different community providers, two on the sector, two in another sector. And um, from the general practice point of view, they may be based in the same centre with district nurses upstairs, and they're sending them an email uh, to uh, make an appointment or to discuss a patient you know, when there's a flight of stairs between them. This is insane. And I take your point about red walls, blue walls, um, but I think the power to change all of this rests with strategic commissioning. Um, and certainly from our perspective as a board, we just took a decision last week that we were going to begin a review of those community providers because of the lack of, the lack of consistency and the need for a review because it, it 
if we're going to transform care and have stronger and integrated services, then that then that's essential. So I think we've created a bit of a monster. But in terms of the AARS, I, I don't feel I'm in the Garden of Eden with, with Brenda and Michelle. I, I understand that roles like physicians, um, associates do bring benefit, but I think I'd argue that the public should note that they're not regulated, not yet. I know that the GMC are taking that on. Um, nurses are. And I think there is some duplication of the role. Um, I listened in preparation for this podcast to a video um, about uh, physicians associates and their value. But I do think that perhaps one of the appeals for GPs, aside from the funding that comes with it, is that it's a biomedical model. And it's it's perhaps for some, they can align with that. Um, because it's more like their own their own training and preparation. And I note that those uh, physicians associates are already starting to specialise. And I can, you can see where this is heading along with all of those those other new roles. So multidisciplinary working is the only way to go. But I'm not quite sure that we've got the ingredients right to create that garden of perfection. Amita, did you want to come in on this one as well? Yes. Well, I'll keep the garden analogy going. Every garden needs its hardy perennials and the nurses are those hardy perennials. They will always come up no matter what fertilizer you use. <laughs> and so we need to embrace them and harness that resilience. They, they, and I use the word backbone in, in my introduction. General practice nursing is the backbone of this garden and we need to protect them and nurture them. Um, and I, I think that it, it, it'll be the opportunity for nurses actually to come into their own in this multidisciplinary team. They have the skills. They will be able to possibly supervise and mentor these new additional roles who will have to be you know, inducted into this very unique setting that these pharmacists will not have come across having been in community pharmacy before. Physicians associates similarly from acute backgrounds will not have set foot in a primary setting, primary care setting. So I think this is the this is the opportunity for nurses to show their leadership skills and take on that mantle. And I think one of the positives that comes out of additional roles, perhaps, because I'd like to say something positive about additional roles, is the standardization of terms and conditions. If these guys are coming in, they will not accept what the agenda for change not existing because they already be on an agenda for change um, and therefore it might also again put, uh, give the nurses an opportunity to say hey every other person in this MDT has a standardized terms and conditions what about the nurses? Um, unfortunately these roles aren't on agenda for change in London because they're not getting the um, the higher cost area supplement, i.e. London waiting. So we this kind this is what I was referring to. I think there are some some barriers that that really need to be overcome. And I think everyone should be leveled up to ensure that they have in their pay packet a standard amount, whether it's called agenda for change or something different, whatever it's called, that gives you, you know, the right wage with the right supplement to be able to uh, to not have to get loads of other jobs at the same time that, uh, that reduce your your ability to do your day job. And what we want is people that can do the job properly that they were trained to do. We need to get the basics right. Uh, and, and pay and conditions is one of those things, absolutely. As we draw our conversation to a close, I'd be really grateful if you could give me your final thoughts about the future of practice nursing. I think I'll go with pulling together. OK, so we've got the heritage vegetables in the garden that have had all of this kind of stuff that we've had for years. And we've also got the new varieties. Some of us will exist and some of us won't, but some of us will be nurturing beside each other more than others. And I think one of the things that I like is that with the ARS roles, 
we now have the ability to bring that voice up and say we want trainee nurse associates on this and i have this feeling that can we not do, I, I i'm not quite sure like you claire around the role of the physicians associate is it new is it because we don't really know about it so much but i would like to think that we have advanced nurse practitioners perhaps who could come into that role is that not something so uh, you know how do we work with one another and i think we're in this changing landscape so things can change and i'm very hopeful as a, as a nurse first and as a clinical director, that I can influence whatever the future will hold for as long as I want to, to remain around. Thank you, Brenda. Claire? I think um, by way of a kind of ending thoughts, we've had five years of the uh, 10 point plan and lots of fine words and some progress, but I'm for action because um, I think if we were to distill this podcast, there'd be three or four areas that we could we could truly focus on to make sure that practice nursing doesn't become extinct. But that probably means that we need to have a bit more rebellion. OK, fighting thought. Thank you. Uh, Amita. Yes, I think carrying on with Claire's thought processes, I think this is about um, rising together as one nursing uh, workforce outside of hospital nursing workforce because I do think we need to think about all our nurses outside of hospital the community nurses the care home nurses and the practice nurses who contribute hugely to the population health and as we're moving towards primary care network kind of uh, working um, I think the nursing voice will will be loud if we can just harness it because I was touched by something I read around health is made at home and hospitals are for repair. And I do think that primary care nursing is absolutely sat there for making health at home because that's what people want. No, you know, and COVID showed us nobody wants to go into hospital for all sorts of reasons. And, you know, the primary care nurses have the prevention agenda on their fingertips. Let's, so let's, let's use this, um, the new DES or whatever it is, to make sure that all nurses stand up with one voice so that population health and health literacy is out there for everybody to benefit from. Thank you, Amita. And Michelle? Well, I, I want to see us join forces. I, I want to see us at London level join forces and um, call out the factors that we that we need to actually make it work. And they range from supporting people into, into their roles, supporting people through their roles, uh, dealing with the, the terms and conditions issue, which uh, clearly is, is worrying, has been for a long time, in patches, highlighting the, the areas of excellence, and just the good, just the good. You have to be excellent, just very good, to be honest. Um, but actually, I think we also need to um, go outside of our own localities, our own sectors, and try and create a London solution to this. I don't think we can afford to do things five or 32 times. I think we, we need that. That we, There are times when you do need centralisation, and these kind of initiatives are those. Um, you know, there aren't that many pan-London bodies. We're one of them. There are a few others. Um, we should, we should, let's not wait for permission. I think that might be the rebellion you're talking about. <laughs> well, that's a good note to end on, isn't it? A bit of insurrection. Well, thank you everyone for contributing to such a rich and thought-provoking conversation. We've heard about the many challenges facing general practice nursing. We've also heard many ideas and opportunities that are available to ensure that general practice nurses remain a central part of delivering primary care services and your commitment to making that happen. Thank you very much. Brenda has highlighted that this is the year of the nurse and that every single podcast in the series made her curious to know more. Her standout podcast was the End of Life podcast because for her, it epitomised the approach of nurses in the pandemic. She cites many elements in that collaboration, vulnerability, showing courage, adapting to new ways of working, showing no fear of change, and that a reminder that general practice nurses 
need training to do the seemingly simple but complex work. Amita felt that the podcast showed brilliantly the cradle-to-grave nature of the role of general practice nurses. There is lots of work going on in primary prevention and it's an attractive place to work because of the holistic care and approach that goes on in primary care. She found the podcast inspiring for nurses considering primary care as a first destination career. Amita also felt that it demonstrated that nurses listen to each other, but a reminder that we need to listen to GP colleagues around recruitment to support retention and share good practice. Claire laid down the challenge that nurses need to work together to care for patients in the community and perhaps rather than work in separate roles, there's a need to meld roles together. She felt that nurses need to take control of the situation, given the low numbers of general practice nurses and ageing GPNs in the capital. She feels that the system needs to offer placements to undergraduates in general practice, which will help nurse graduates choose general practice nursing as a first destination career. Claire mentioned the Capital Nurse Qualification and Specialism Standard being implemented in London to standardise education for foundation level nurses as a route to a full career progression in general practice nursing. She also mentioned the work around retaining general practice nurses that Capital Nurse has undertaken, which highlights the plight of general practice nurses. It raised that many of the issues are simple to resolve with sensitive handling, good listening, and that the guide has lots of positive tips about handling difficult situations. Michelle mentioned that the dedication of nurses during the pandemic shines through in each of the podcasts. She mentioned that there is more that binds general practice nurses and GPs together. And given the right support by the system, great things can be achieved by general practice nurses for patients and the specialism that works between certainty for patients. She mentioned that there are similarities between the challenges of recruiting GPs and general practice nurses, especially in London, and the alignment of the two issues would be really helpful. She feels that more attention needs to be given to nurses in practice and we need to focus on how general practice nurses are valued by GPs. She was also interested in the approach to increasing placements and um, is looking forward to how training hubs can manage this issue. I want to thank HEE, NHSE and I, Capital Nurse and Healthy London Partners for their support in creating this podcast. We bring you a series of podcasts highlighting the power of practice nursing over the last few months. Please do subscribe to our series. Do also share your own stories of practice nursing on social media with the hashtag LondonGPN. We look forward to hearing from you.